Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Welcome to the Serial Killer Podcast. The podcast dedicated to serial killers. Who they were, what they did, and how. I am your Norwegian host, and tonight we remain in early Renaissance Hungary. We are not finished with our dear blood countess, and last week we left Erzabet as she was just beginning to find the beauty benefits of bathing in the blood of young girls. Tonight, we continue our sojourn into the madness of the Countess Bathory as we close in on our final days of murder. This episode is, thanks to you, dear listener, 100% sponsored ad-free. It is financed solely by my very loyal patrons, who are helping me to produce the show via Patreon. As I have mentioned in the last couple of episodes, the podcast breached the 10 million downloads mark by the 1st of December 2018. If you wish to participate in this show's continued success and development, I have created several tiers for those of you that wish to support the show financially. If you pledge $1, that is still a really big help. But you are, of course, welcome to donate more, and the rewards for doing so gross the larger the donation is. For example, I will read out a public thank you if you donate $15, and if you really want to join the TSK aficionados, donate $50 or more. 
go to patreon.com slash the serial killer podcast to learn more. Any donation is greatly appreciated. Also, do not miss out on bonus content, previews, exclusive interactions with me, and more on both my Facebook page at facebook.com slash the SK podcast and my subreddit on reddit.com slash r slash the SK podcast. I really appreciate listener feedback, so please feel free to post reviews, comments, or questions there. Let us for a moment speed up time. Not all the way up to our own postmodern worlds, but about one century after Countess Bathory met her end. We find ourselves in the old stronghold of the Palatine Thurzo, Bitscha Castle in Slovakia. In the old attic there, with perhaps the cold winter wind blowing hard outside, a bright Jesuit priest named Lajlo Turoce was looking through very old manuscripts and documents. Among the dusty old papers, he found the sealed trial documents relating to the Bathory case. This was perfect material for his book, called Hungary, a dated compendium with its kings along with stories he collected from locals living in the villages surrounding Castle Cheche. In the priest's era, the 1720s, tales of vampires were sweeping Europe in a proper vampire mania. The villagers near Erzbet's old castle Cheche gleefully shared their fascinating legends with the priest about the vampire countess who had bathed in the blood to look beautiful. The priest's work, and the priest's name was Turocci, was then adapted by Matei Bell in his Encyclopedia on Hungarian History and Geography. Because Matei Bell was an academic, and his work considered credible, the story of the vampire countess went unchallenged. The European fascination with vampires only increased as the years went by. And in 1796, German writer Michael Wagner continued to spread the blood-bathing legend in his work called Articles on Philosophical Anthropology. He was the one who gave me the story of how Erzsébet had once hit a young maiden girl so hard her blood had splattered on the countess's face, thus creating an anti-aging treatment for the aging lady. Wagner's story was brought to the English-speaking world in 1854, when Sabine Gould wrote the Book of Werewolves, being an account of a terrible superstition. In Chapter 9, Natural Causes of Lycanthropy, she credited Wagner for the tale in a section titled A Hungarian Bather in Blood. Here she writes, and I quote, 
Elizabeth was wont to dress well in order to please her husband, and she spent half the day at her toilet. On one occasion, a lady's maid saw something wrong with her headdress, and, as a recompense for observing it, received such a severe box on the ears that the blood gushed from her nose and spurted on to her mistress's face. When the blood drops were washed off the face, her skin appeared much more beautiful, whiter, and more transparent on the spots where the blood had been. End quote. What follows has given rise to the blood-bathing legends all the way up until our 21st century. Sabine writes, Elizabeth formed the resolution to bathe her face and her whole body in human blood so as to enhance her beauty. Two old women and a certain fishco assisted her in the undertaking. This monster used to kill the luckless victim, and the old woman caught the blood, in which Elizabeth was wont to bathe at the hour of four in the morning. After the bath, she appeared more beautiful than ever. End quote. As the centuries rolled by, Hungarians themselves loved to embellish stories about the Countess. At the time of her death, locals referred to Erzsébet Bathory as the infamous lady, or notorious lady. Two hundred years later, she had become the vampire lady. Does this case of local legends embellishing and creating vampire myths mean that Countess was perhaps innocent? Or simply misunderstood? No, far from it. The contemporary court documents the Jesuit priest found was quite detailed in their record regarding Lady Bathory's crimes. One of her servants, who had participated in the torture and murder, explained to the court how Erzsébet had beaten and murdered girls so brutally that it had drenched her clothes in blood. She often had to change her shirt after administering a beating. If her henchman, Dorka Shences, beat the girls, Erzsébet stood alongside and ordered girls to be stripped, thrown to the ground and lashed, or beaten so hard that a person could scoop up their blood by the handful. Trial testimony does show one thing. While the Countess did cause the girls to lose massive amounts of blood, she herself cared very little for the red stuff, other than making sure not walking around covered in it. To be precise, if the purpose of killing those young girls was to deliberately collect enough blood so as to bathe in it, she would have had made sure to collect the blood in enough quantities to bathe in it. Given the cubic volume of a normal bathtub, this would have required all the blood of nearly 30 victims for one bath. According to the accomplice Ilona Joe, however, Erzsébet threw off her blood-sodden clothing, let blood wastefully sop into beds, and even ordered it washed off the stone pavements and floors. 
This is hardly the actions of someone who is deliberately collecting precious virgin blood to bathe in. No contemporary witnesses describe anyone collecting the massive amounts of blood that had to be cleaned off Erzsebet's castle's stone floors. The vampire part of the legend does have a contemporary beginning, though. Witnesses did testify at her trial that Erzsebet in a red rage bit her victims. Ilona Joe stated that the Countess bit out pieces of flesh from the girls, but she also attacked them with knives. Dorka corroborates this story and added that Bathory bit out pieces of flesh from the young girls' faces. This might indicate that although the Countess did not use the young girl's blood to look younger, she was perhaps very jealous of their youthful beauty and might have wanted to destroy it. Witnesses also testified as to how Erzsebet shoved needles under the girl's fingernails before cutting off the fingers of those girls who desperately tried to remove the needles. If you, dear listener, have ever torn a nail or had a splinter lodge under your nail, you know just how painful the smallest wound at the fingertips can cause. So imagine having several long needles purposefully forced under your nails and left there for several hours. The Countess was obviously sadistic and even showed psychopathic tendencies, but no witnesses at her time has given us any reason to think she was any sort of vampire. So, let us return to the 17th century and the fragile peace now reigning in the Holy Roman Empire. The rumours and stories of Elizabeth Bathory has reached more and more people, and eventually the crown. For a long time, her late husband Ferenc's excellent reputation and finances served as a shield against anyone who thought to challenge her. But now that her finances were in dire straits, and her husband was dead, she held no strings over the emperor, crown, or church. Worse, her royal debtors knew that with her out of the way, they would not have to repay their enormous loans to her. Indeed, Elizabeth began to refer to herself now as the Nadasti Relic. But although the net was closing in all around her, she continued to play the part of the Grand Dame. Outwardly, she carried herself with confidence. But inside, she was suffering a mental breakdown. Once she was behind closed doors, she did not care what happened to her, and let her carnal desires completely take over. She indulged herself in any way she could, and if anyone annoyed her or stood up to her, she lashed out in murderous rage. It is hard to comprehend, especially considering her extensive crimes, but the Countess Bathory was a very religious person. 
She was well versed in Calvinism, Catholicism, and Lutheranism, the latter being what her children were brought up as. She stuck to her childhood faith of Calvinism and took it to heart. For a Calvinist, not everyone would go to heaven, even if they had followed the teachings of Christ. Only the preordained, elect, or chosen would pass through the gates of heaven, and no amount of prayer, fasting, good deeds, confession, or otherwise could change that fate. It is thus entirely possible that Elizabeth had come to a conclusion that she was not one of those elect few, and thus, why bother engaging in any further pretenses? If she was destined for hell, then she might as well do as she pleased in life. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all have our burdens to bear, dear listener, and as a man, I was, and am, often told to suck it up, keep calm, and carry on. Normally, good advice in many situations, but never talking about what bothers you is not healthy. Therapy is great to get things off your chest, to vent, and best of all, to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Everyone needs someone to talk to, even psychopaths, even your humble host. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash serialkiller today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash serial killer. With the exception of winter months spent at Sarvar, the Countess established her new permanent residence at Cheche. With her moving in, a reign of terror thus began for the inhabitants of the nearby villages of Ujeli, Verbo, and Trenchin. In addition to rumors of torture and murder, Talk of witchcraft began to surface as well. Chechen lies in the Carpathian Mountains, in what is today western Slovakia, near Trenčeni Trenčin. 
In those days, however, it was part of Hungary. Cheche Castle was surrounded by a village and farmland bordered by the foothills of the Carpathian Mountains. Ottoman Turks plundered the village in 1599 and in 1605. As we talked about last time, and in 1606, a flood washed away bridges and homes. But by 1609, the region was quiet once again. The court at Cheche was much smaller and less distinguished than that of Sarvar. Approximately 25 people cared for the surrounding fields and vineyards, and according to records, the agriculture was organized and run exceptionally well. The countess had brought with her only the best people from Sarvar, and records give us their names. They are Courtmaster Benedict Deseo, Assistant Manager Michael Horvath, and Janos Andashi, Stablemaster Daniel Vaz, Provisor Michael Hervoit, Cellarmaster Matthias Sakathiarto, and Steward. Jacob Shilvazi. Istvan Vagi also assisted the main staff, as did Bathi Isar Pobi. The Countess also maintained her own small personal retinue of accomplices. Anna Darvolia, Dorotia Sentes, Ilona Joe, and Katalin Beneschi. Janos Ujvari supervised the ladies' staff of kitchen workers, seamstresses, maids, washerwomen, and female attendants. For the local families, raising their daughters to hold a position as a court seamstress, maid, or household assistant was a great honor. Each applicant had to be personally recommended for her skill. Sadly, most of those who were tortured and murdered at Chechem would be taken from this female staff. Sometime around 1609, Anna Darvolia would suffer a blinding stroke that ultimately proved fatal. A year later, the remaining four would all be brought in in chains to Bitcha to defend themselves on the criminal charges of torture and murder. As we started our tale a few weeks back, we know that the Countess herself was left in Cheche in house arrest, awaiting her own fate. The justice system of Hungary in 1610 was usually not comparable to today's modern courtroom proceedings, with its constitutional rights principles of innocent until proven guilty and having to prove guilt beyond a reasonable doubt. And for the common folk, justice was usually swift and brutal, ending with a short dance hanging from a gallows. But for someone as powerful, noble, and famous as Erzsébet Bathory, it was important for the crown to spare no expense. The authorities took 306 depositions during the proceedings against the countess, but only eight people had access to actually witness her private torturing sessions. These were the following. Anna, Fischko, Dorotia, Ilona J, Katalin, Ilona Z, Courtmaster, Benedek, and Stuart, Jacob. 
Among this gang of accomplices, Benedict is particularly interesting. He is one of eleven men who witnessed and signed her will in 1610. Janus Fischko claimed under oath that Benedek, in fact, knew the most of anyone regarding what went on behind closed doors, though he never spoke of it to anyone. Years later, because this trial would indeed take several years, Benedek was called to testify. On the witness stand, he admitted what he knew, and it likely shocked the court. Before we end tonight's episode, I would like to read to you this statement. It goes as follows. Having entered the lady's private chamber to report on castle business, I was somewhat startled to see the countess with one of her young maids in hand. I knew the girl, a child named Ilonka, who was the daughter of the local shoemaker. The child was crying, evidently terrified. Somewhat embarrassed, I immediately turned back toward the door. When the countess called out to me, Don't leave us, Benedek. I want you to watch this. I stopped and turned back around slowly. This girl, the countess said testily, needs a lesson in discipline. The lady suddenly began tearing the clothing from the girl until she was stripped completely naked. Screaming now, the child huddled on her knees, begging and crying, while the countess retrieved a dagger. She is so clumsy with her hands, the countess went on. She can't do anything right at all. The lady grabbed first the right hand of the girl, and then stuck the blade into each of the fingers, one at a time. She can't seem to use her fingers properly. As the girl continued screaming and crying, the countess grabbed her other hand and again began stabbing each finger in turn. Maybe this will help loosen your fingers, dear. The girl fell to the floor, clutching her bleeding hands, as the countess slowly swirled around her. I found myself inching back towards the door. Hmm, the countess mused. Maybe it's not your fingers after all, is it, dear? Maybe it's your arms. She appeared to study the sobbing girl for a moment, and then suddenly reached out and grabbed the child's right arm. She began plunging the knife repeatedly straight up the arm. Blood pooled around each wound as the girl struggled to get away. The countess grabbed her hair, jerking her head back, and then began knifing her way up the other arm. Huddled on the floor now, the girl struggled to rise on her bleeding hands. Maybe it's not your arms after all, the countess mused, again pretending to study her. She then went and secured a long crop. She stood over the girl for a moment, and suddenly began lashing her violently and repeatedly on the back. Maybe the problem is right here, she screamed, on the back of the lazy 
good-for-nothing little whore that you are. Each time the girl tried to crawl away, the terrible pain in her arms and hands caused her to stumble forward. The countess grabbed her by the hair and began thrashing her again, this time on her legs, thighs, belly and breasts, wherever the crop happened to land in the bloody assault. She also leveled the blows directly into the wounds of the girl's arms and hands, causing her to scream until she lost her voice. Blood and chunks of flesh splattered the floor and walls. Hair disheveled, eyes flashing white behind black pupils. The countess went and retrieved a burning candle next. The girl was lying on the floor moaning now, and on the verge of passing out. Don't give up the ghost yet, dear, she said. We are not done with you. The countess pressed the flaming candle directly into the girl's hands, causing her to revive momentarily in a new wave of screams. When the child's eyes rolled back in her head, the countess held the flame to the hands again until they were burned black. I watched the torturing continue in this manner until the girl finally died. End quote. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. The story of Erzsebet Bathory is going to run every week until its conclusion. I really hope you enjoy it. It has taken quite a bit of research to find all the dates, names and details from this fascinating time in history. Next week we continue, and then we will see how the justice system prosecuted the Blood Countess, as well as even further details into her madness and crimes. So, as they say in the land of radio, stay tuned. I have been your host, Thomas Vaborg Thun, and this podcast would not be possible if it had not been for my dear patrons who pledge their hard-earned money every month. There are especially a few of those patrons I would like to thank in person. These patrons are Sandy, Maud, Amber, Anne, Charlotte, Christina, Claudette, Evan, Jennifer, Joe, Lisbeth, Mickey, Philip, PJ, Sarah, and Troy. You guys really help produce this show, and you have my deepest gratitude. Thank you. 
As always, I thank you, dear listener, for listening. Please, feel free to leave a review on your favorite podcast app, my Facebook page at facebook.com slash theskpodcast or Reddit. And please, do subscribe to the show if you enjoy it. Thank you. Good night and good luck.